0: For what God's going to do tonight through this amazing woman of God. So, church, can you stand to your feet and honor the woman of God, Jackie Tyre? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Do you ever hear somebody talk about you and you go, Who is he talking about? That's kind of how that felt. <laughs> um, it is my heart and my passion. And, um, I've been at this for quite a while. I'm a, I used to introduce myself as a housewife from Lilburn. I raised my three boys and stayed home. And during that time, God radically turned me upside down and um, went from religious, love the Lord, but religious, I didn't know any better, went through about 10 years of extreme health challenges. And at the end of that, with my life a wreck, God said, are you done? (laughs) I mean, it was a real encounter as a Southern Baptist girl. Um, And he said, are you done? And then he said, if you will give me your time. And he gave me a specific, which I rarely, rarely share, because I don't want somebody to say, well, I've got to do that because it's not about that. It's about us doing what Holy Spirit tells us to do. And he said, if you will do it, I will completely turn your life around. And the vision that I gave you at 18, you will walk in it. And I had walked away from it out of disappointment. I don't even know why I'm going here, but somebody needs to hear this. I had walked away from the call because of disappointment and disillusionment. And said, well, that was obviously bad pizza. Because Southern Baptists aren't supposed to have dreams and visions. And I'd had an open vision. So, obviously, I missed it. And I walked away from it. And it threw me into a tailspin of just doing it by the arm of the flesh. And then when God put me on my face, within half of the time, get this, Okay, we're talking 18 to 30, I'm telling you all my years, it's okay. Between 30 and 36, what he showed me at 18 by 36, I walked in it. Literally in the place he showed it. So God can restore in quicker time than what you've wasted. Can somebody say hallelujah? Aren't you glad? That you don't have to make up. If you've lost 20 years, it doesn't have to take 20 years. And God is a God of expedience. He doesn't waste things. But if we will simply obey obey what He says, line up with Him, trust Him, He can do incredible things in your life. I told the Lord at 15, I'll never stand in front of people and speak. Give me a microphone and I'll sing because I was a vocal major in college and I was piano and all this stuff and I did all of that and it was fine because I could step into this character. You step into this thing because you're doing somebody else's something. Come on, church, we're often doing somebody else's something. And we want to look like somebody else. We want to talk like somebody else. We want to have the same message somebody else has. We want us to have the same following somebody else has. And God says, no, I made you a unique one. Be who I created you to be. So I told the Lord, I said, I'll do anything you want me to do except speak. And he goes, ha, ha, ha. (laughs) So here I am. Um, And I've discovered It's where I sense the pleasure of the Lord. It wasn't something that I looked for, didn't want it. I was happy behind the curtain as an intercessor. In fact, when the Lord started pulling me out, I said, really? I like it back here. I like praying in the background, and nobody knows my name, and nobody cares. It was the place of greatest delight, and he said, but what if I tell you I need you? Will you deny me what will delight me? And I said, Okay, Lord, I'll step out and do. And then he said this He said, You've developed a merry heart just to sit in his presence. He said, But I now need you to develop the Martha side. But as you live as a Martha, you will always carry a merry heart. Never lose it. And that's really where God wants us to live. Because there's a world out there that needs us. And we can stay in a prayer place. We can stay in a place of intimacy. But if we never get up and touch somebody's life... We've missed the point. We are to pursue into the holy of holies, into that place where we're saturated with the glory of God. And then when you go out, I believe we are supposed to walk out so saturated with the glory of God that when you walk into the grocery store, people turn to see who walked in. And they're not looking to see you. They're like, whoo, what was that that just passed by? I mean, didn't Moses not go into the place of the presence of God and he came out and they couldn't look at him? Well, we have a greater place. We have a far greater place. But that means you go in, but you've got to be willing to go out. You've got to be willing to shift around. And this was, that wasn't a part of my message for tonight at all, but I felt like you needed to know a little bit about who I am. What motivates me, what motivates me is I want to see every member of the body of Christ doing exactly what God created you to do. And that means some parts will be seen, some parts won't be seen. But as long as we're doing what he says do, then there is an advancing force of Holy Spirit that's released into the earth. God's breaking us out of church as usual. I hate status quo mediocrity. It's one of those things that I go after like with a vengeance. If I see somebody getting just satisfied and, well, this is what I do and this is how I do it, watch out, I'm about to move you. (laughs) You're about to get shifted into something new because if you think you can just do what you do and you've put it on autopilot... Your autopilot is about to get unplugged because that's not the way God created us to be. We're supposed to live in this dynamic relationship where we're so one with him that you step out and you walk on water because right now I feel like I'm walking on water because none of this was here on me until I walked in the door, which means The assignment of the message, I always lay it out. And I say, God, if this is a change, I'm willing to change. Whatever it is. And I trust him enough. And I've developed enough of a hearing ear that if he says turn left, I'll turn left. And we have to get to the place where we do that. That is, it's not to say I mean better. You can do that. That's what we're all supposed to do. I could tell y'all stories about some places where God's taken us, where we couldn't find places we needed to go. And I just say, Holy Spirit, where is it? And we drive down the road. We were on some prayer assignments across the state. We couldn't find them. Maps were wrong. Addresses were wrong. Everything was wrong. And would he go drive around right drive right down there, two blocks on your left, and be right there. Totally not where it was supposed to be, but God knew where it was, couldn't hide. So just learn, give yourself the freedom to not get it right all the time. And just go with God. So the what I'm going to teach on tonight and I told the Lord, I don't want to just teach it. I want to impart. It's a revelation the Lord gave me 12 to 14 years ago, going away on vacation with my husband. Just so you know, I am married. I've been married. This coming December will be 44 years. And um, we've got three grown sons and four grandchildren and wonderful daughter-in-laws. And, you know, God multiplies. And I'm grateful, and they celebrate what I do because they saw the pathway of getting here. But anyway, we are flying away on an anniversary trip, actually, and the Lord said, I want to talk to you about the armor of God. Well, honest, I was about to take a nap (laughs) because it was a long flight, and I was sleepy. (laughs) And he said, no, I want to talk to you about the armor of God. And he said, I want to talk to you about the corporate armor of God. And I went, huh? He said, then he asked me this question. He said, if the book of Ephesians that talks about the armor of God is written to the church as a corporate body, why do you only take the armor individually? And I did exactly what y'all did. Oh, my. I'm listening. I don't need a nap anymore. I am all ears because I've never heard this. And he began taking me through this passage one after another. And I'm jumping all over the slides, so whoever's up there, just don't worry about it. It'll be easier if we don't worry about this. (laughs) So just don't. Um, Free you up and free me too. Um, But you know, the book of Ephesians is like this premier book written by Paul on the way church is supposed to operate. And we've segmented into this is the way individuals work. This is the way families work. This is the way all of this works. But we haven't taken it to how the church works. Now, why do, you, why do I say that? Because church is not individual. Church is corporate. Church is the body of Christ, right? We are one body. There's one head. There's only one head, right? Okay, say amen. You got that? There's only one head. And it has many parts. 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 talks about us being members one with another and every joint, you know, supplying. It's about all of these members coming together. Well, if we don't talk to each other and we're not connected with each other and we're not linked together, then the body is dismembered. And much of the body right now is dismembered. Remember, Jesus said when he was telling the disciples how to remember him, he said, do this in remembrance of me, right? Remember me. Can you look at it this way? Re-member me. Put me back together. We are his body in the earth. Jesus is seated on high Right next to God the Father. We're seated in heavenly places with him. But we are his body, his representation in the earth. Therefore, as members of his body, we need every part of the body operating. How many of you have ever broken an ankle or a foot or a leg? Did it affect the rest of your body? I broke my ankle in the end of 2013 Fell, missed the bottom step of the stairs going down the hill in my house. Not a good thing to do, i am just tell you. Well, it affected my left ankle. But let me tell you something. Every part of my body suffered. I helped a woman today at the hotel get into the restroom because she's hobbling on crutches. And she's like, this is so hard. I said, I know. You can't get anywhere. Because you're, you're confined, you're, you're in pain, you're having to do things that aren't natural. I believe as the body of Christ, we've got some broken parts. And do you know the only way a broken part heals is as life flows from the healthy part into the broken part. We've been cutting off broken parts rather than releasing healing. Healing. So there's this coming together as the body of Christ. Another picture that Paul gives and other places gives is that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians talks about us being the temple of the Holy Spirit. That word you is not singular. It's corporate. It's a plural you. You all. Y'all. Come on, we're Southern. (laughs) Y'all are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are living stones fitted together to form a holy habitation of the Holy Spirit. So what happens if you've got a lot of pieces that will build a building? How many, we got any builders in the room? Oh, I see a couple. Yeah, there you go. What happens if the building materials are simply collected on a piece of property, but they are not yet assembled? You can't dwell in it, can you? The analogy the Lord gave me years ago about the temple and being built together was you have to be assembled. You have to be put together. The living stones have to be fit together, right? was a bicycle. We've got moms and dads and grandparents in here. We've given our kids bicycles, and we get it from the store, and it's in a box with a bazillion pieces, Right? Well, what happens on Christmas morning if you give them the box of the bicycle inside? Your Christmas morning is not going to be real fun. But God wants this temple, this building, to be put together. The temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, when Solomon built the temple, the stones were quarried in the quarry, not on the building site. They were fashioned in such a way so that there was no sound of hammer and chisel on the actual holy site. But it was chiseled in such a way that when the stones were brought to the temple site, they fit together without mortar. Isn't that amazing? They fit together so when the sun shines on that Jerusalem stone it is brilliant when God quarries us cuts us out of where we are fashions us works on us in the secret place when we come together like this suddenly there's a you fit you find your place of fit not everybody's gonna be at relentless but everybody's gonna be somewhere We need to find that place of an assignment of God where he says, this is where I've assigned you. Then where he's assigned you, be there. You know, sometimes we say, well, I'm assigned here, but then you're not there. Or if you're there, you're not there. You understand what I'm saying when I say you're there, but you're not there? Your body's in the seat, but your head's off somewhere else. Wherever you are, be there. It seems to be a phrase I'm using a lot lately. Because I'm seeing people be places that they're not really there. And God says, for me to have a holy temple, for my presence to dwell, you've got to be where I fashioned you to fit. And then stay put until he says, I need you to help build this. And allow God to do that because it's a corporate. Because when we're together in that corporate, there is a strength that is released into the earth. There's a beauty and a majesty that reflects out into the world. When they begin to see the body of Christ, the temple of the Lord, built with unity, without friction, and without this competition garbage that we've been known for, there is a beauty and a glory that the world will turn and look and go, Oh, I, I, I want to belong because there's a sense of belonging. There's a sense of fitting. And we all look for a place to fit. When I started City Gate Atlanta 11 and a half years ago, the Lord said, I have called you to the lost and scattered sheep of the house of the Lord. Because there are so many people that were raised in church, they know the Lord. And especially prophetic people. That they've just not found a place of belonging. They've been marginalized and really, you know, put over there. Intercessors put over there. All kinds of things that have happened that they didn't fit. And God says, I want them fitted into my temple. So that there is a life flow. So we've got to be is that one body. One temple. Another analogy that the scripture uses is that we're family. Look at somebody and say, I'm glad you're my brother. I'm glad you're my sister. (laughs) Haven't met you before, but I'm glad we're in the same family. (laughs) Have you ever thought about how massive the family of God is? And I'm just going to say a for real deal here. Your spiritual family is often closer than your natural. I mean, for real. I can talk about things with my spiritual family that there are parts of my natural family that go, "What is she up to?" <laughs> because I'm the sibling, or I'm the you know cousin, or the, I'm the something, and they're like, "I don't get it," because they've not fully come into the revelation. That comes through Christ and the power of Holy Spirit. But when we get among family that is the family of God, we can not have ever met each other. I mean, we did this at dinner last night. We had never met, but we could talk without any hesitation because it's blood. We have the same father. We have the same elder brother. We are in this together. How many of you, I won't, never mind, I won't ask that question. I'll say it this way. All families are dysfunctional. Some just know it. (laughs) It's the truth. That's That's a family line in my house. All families are dysfunctional. Some just happen to know it. We know it, okay? So we know it, you know, and it's all good. But the body of Christ, the family of God, shouldn't be dysfunctional. But unfortunately, we've been very dysfunctional. There's been sibling rivalries. There's been rebellion against the father. There's been, I don't want to be the younger sister. I, won't be the, I want to be the older one, right? Right? We've got, and you know what I'm talking about, we've all got this stuff, and I hear the heartbeat of the Father saying, sons and daughters, really? Have I not given you everything that you need for life and godliness in Christ? Is it not true that we're all the same, really, apart from Christ? We have nothing. Right before I got married, my grandfather looked at me and he said, I know you love him and you think he can do no wrong, but just remember this. (laughs) There are certain things that are still going to stink. And you know what? And he said, and remember this, we all put our pants leg on one leg at a time. If we will remember that there are times we all stink. Every single one of us. There are times every single one of us mess up, do stupid stuff. Not you? Oh, I'm glad to meet you there, sir. (laughs) I like that tongue-in-cheek. It's good. You know, but if we will remember that we are only who we are by the grace of God. Then we won't have the propensity to look at someone else and judge them as less than us. Because, you know, it's only by the grace of God we are who we are and we do what we do. I don't, I don't understand how God pulled me out of where all the places I was and said, This is what I've called you to do. I don't get it. I'm just grateful. I'm just grateful. If I get to do anything to serve him, it's a privilege. Anything at all. The last one on the corporate is when Jesus in Matthew 16 He's talking to Peter. You know the story. And he says, who do you say that I am? First he asked, who do the people say that I am? But then he honed it in. Who do you say that I am? He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And upon this rock, I will build my ecclesia, my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I'm giving to you the keys of the kingdom, and you will bind and it will be bound, and whatever you loosen, it will be loosed. Okay? This is who we are. But most of us, Probably haven't heard the word ecclesia until the last 5, 10, 15 years ago. I actually began teaching on ecclesia about 15 years ago. And people would look at me, Ekla, what? Because we knew the word ecclesiastical from a sense of the broader, everything come together, but that's not what this word means. This is the called out for assembly. Be put together, right? Here we got that corporate thing going again. Be called out to be assembled for a purpose. For a purpose. As a legislative assembly to be the representation of the government of God out of heaven and into the earth. So that what heaven is saying, what the king of the domain is saying, we're listening and we are developing declarations and decrees that will establish in the earth what heaven is saying. That's what the Roman and the Greek Ecclesia did. They went into territories that they were conquering, and they turned those territories to look more like Rome or Greece. Even with the Greeks, they went in as a, with a ship with an admiral, and the admiral was called an apostle. Hello. Hello. Jesus knew what he was saying. He knew the communication that they would receive. And so as an ecclesia gathering, as the church that is family, the church that is body, the church that is a temple, the church is assembled together for ecclesia purpose, for an assignment to bring heaven to earth. We also go out in that ecclesia, there is this aspect of going out as an army. Right? I don't believe an army can go forth if not sent by an ecclesia. It's part of the reason we've had so many, as John Paul Jackson's book said, how many years ago, 20-something years ago, needless casualties of war is because we as intercessors were going out and just doing stuff because we saw it. And people were getting, as another friend of mine says, getting the cheese beat out of them. And they were ending up all broken, discouraged, and no true advancement was happening because it was independent. But when you have ecclesia functioning, making legislative decrees out of heaven, releasing them into the earth, and in that place of worship where we're hearing from heaven, that's heart, bowl, and crown, by the way. That's David's tabernacle. David's tabernacle wasn't simply harp and bowl. It was harp, bowl, and crown because they would release the orders to the army and the army would go advance. Now, I'm throwing a whole lot out right there. But as the ecclesia assembles, there's a war going down, say, on Abercorn Street. Okay? There, see, I'm just making that part up. I don't know anything. But let's just say there is a place of spiritual darkness there. Ecclesia gathers, hears from heaven, develops a strategy and sends a team, comes back, reports to the Ecclesia. "We've made this progress. Let's press in again. What else needs to be done? What is the next aspect of this warfare that needs to be addressed? What does the apostle in the area, what are they discerning? What are the prophets discerning? How do we develop this strategy? We can't just run and go. Because if we just run and go, you're stepping in often into enemy territory unprotected. Which leads me back to corporate armor. You know the scripture, right? We put on the full armor of God. We take on the belt of truth. We put on the breastplate of righteousness. We shod our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We take up the shield of the faith, shield of faith, we put on the helmet of salvation, we take up the sword of the spirit and with all prayer. There's our armor, right? We've all done it. Jesus is ultimately our armor because it says He gives us the armor of God. This is Ephesians 6. And just for time, I'm just I'm just flowing with it, okay? But you know the scripture. So we've got the belt of truth. The breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, and the helmet of salvation, and then the sword of the Spirit. Right? So back to my airplane flight with the Lord. (laughs) I'm reading Ephesians 6, and Holy Spirit says, turn back to Ephesians 4. I am going to try to find this one so I can. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 And I'm going to read this and go ahead and go. No, that's right. Good New American Standards, perfect. Okay. And he says, and he gave some as apostles. Some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of God to a mature man, say mature man, man. to the measure of the stature, which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Have you ever really looked at that phrase? Until we grow up into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's a pretty large statue. I mean, that is a lot of Holy Spirit power. We're not there yet. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of people, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, that is Christ. From whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working, say proper working, Of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. I grew up in a denomination that told us that apostles, prophets didn't exist anymore. We could have pastors, we could have evangelists, and we could have teachers. But apostles and prophets died because we now had the word of God. Well, that's not what the word of God says. (laughs) So... You know, you kind of go tilt. We've got, we don't need that anymore because the word of God's come, but the word of God says that we do need it because we haven't come into maturity yet. So (laughs) let's get a grip. So anyway, welcome to my humor and my journey. So all of a sudden, I look at these two passages together. And knowing how the fivefold operates and what our primary giftings are, what our primary functions are in the body of Christ, all of a sudden I went, Apostles hold everything together with truth, and they are the belt that everything else connects to. It protects the loins, the reproduction, the next generation. That that belt of truth makes sure everything is solid and secure for the body to move forth in a security that what we're doing is grounded in truth. Apostles send people out. I'm going to get you to go to... um, Go to the one that says belt of truth, apostolic function, if you can. It guards the foundations of truth. The biblical truth and the kingdom truth. See, a lot of times for those of us who have been raised in the church, we were not taught kingdom. We were taught church. Everything was about getting everything inside and training people to do inside. It wasn't with a mind of looking at kingdom to bring the kingdom of God on earth. So we are, as apostles... We are looking constantly to get kingdom truth established in the hearts of men and women in order to bring kingdom truth to prevail and rule over a territory. Yes, I did say rule. Because when the kingdom of God rules in a territory, blessings flow to the righteous and the unrighteous. And we've got to shift out of this cultural thing that we're relegated into a corner. It's one of those things that just, it gets me stirred up because we have become so much of a subculture that we have not become, or we've become a counterculture that we're just fighting stuff. We have not become the prevailing culture. God's calling for a people that will be a prevailing culture. We've got to have a restoration of the apostolic function that brings the belt of truth to establish kingdom, biblical truth in the body of Christ. It girds up the loins of reproduction. It's always looking forward to the next generation. And what I mean by the next generation is not just those that are younger than us but those that will be alive after we're no longer here. Because I believe we are all one generation. It, the Scripture says of David that he, after he served his generation well, he slept. In other words, he died. Who was his generation? It wasn't just the people that were his age. It's everyone that he was assigned to serve within his lifetime. We are here to serve our generation well i want to serve those that are older than me my parents are still alive in their mid-80s and doing great i mean they're in florida right now they drove down and you know they're having a jolly old time and they're healthy and they can do that praise god but i want to serve that older generation but i also want to serve those babies and my grandkids So that together, this generation alive today lays a foundation of truth that those that come along behind us have something to step on and move further than we are. We've got to look down the road. Apostles are always looking down the road. I will be here all the way through tomorrow and my heart will completely be here. When we get dismissed and we're on our road my head and my heart will always be already be at my next assignment it's just the way i function it took me a while to figure that out it's not that i'm disengaging or i'm glad to go on it's just when that assignment lifts i'm moving on that's what apostolic leaders do cuz we're always looking down the road to what is the next thing the apostolic function as the belt of truth provides a foundation of wisdom and wisdom connects to guide us in advancing apostolic leaders are absolutely appalled at staying stuck in one place for very long I love it that Kyle announced that y'all are shifting your times you know what we're doing on June 6th shifting our times and he did not know I was doing that and the Lord just said it's time shift your time and so we're making some shifts. We're doing some things differently. Because if you do the same thing over and over thing people get into a rut. And the only difference between a rut and a grave is the ends are turned in. Zing. The belt of truth, apostolic function, there are fathers and mothers to mature the faith and function of those that follow. They disciple, they they are determined. There is a perseverance in apostolic leaders. I see this in this man of God. He's got a fathering heart. He's persevering, he's tenacious, he's bold. He fathers you, he's not pushing you, but a little. And what I mean by that, he's not pushing you with the arm of the flesh, but he is pushing you to be all you can be. Not just to be satisfied with how well you can do it today. Which, by the way, worship team, y'all are amazing. I mean, whoo, glory to God. Awesome, awesome. Apostles establish a framework and a structure for effective, efficient function. I see that around this house. That there is an apostolic function so that things work efficiently. Even with your training and your equipping, the manuals that you've developed, I'm like, wow, that is amazing. Y'all have such a gift. But see, it's establishing, making sure all of the people here are established in truth. That is that belt of truth. And he mobilizes the army for strategic advancement. There's always this looking for strategy of where, how are we moving How are you going to move forward to get advancement? It's not just enough to be moving to move. We have to move for purpose. Move to strategically push darkness back. Penetrate the darkness. Rescue the perishing. Break down those walls in the spirit that have been stifling and shutting the church down. Causing areas to not prosper when they should be prospering looking for those strategies to advance then the prophetic function is the breastplate of righteousness what do prophets do always pointing the way to righteousness over a territory most of the time if you get a prophetic word there's something in that word that is going to provoke you to move toward righteousness was it which isn't just being good Righteousness is being who God created you to be. Walk in the fullness of your purpose. So prophetic words will always provoke you to move toward righteousness. And so the prophet comes along as a part of our guard, a part of our armor, to watch over individuals, but also to watch over territories. When the prophetic function is operating healthy, Not looking to be known as a prophet, but looking to hear what is Father saying over a territory that will cause it to prosper and be blessed. Because prophets are about releasing the heart of the Father. What is the Father saying over Savannah? Where is he weeping over Savannah? What is the Father saying that would bring this region into a greater manifestation of what he intended from the very beginning in 2002 i was in savannah again for an anniversary we go places on our anniversary what can i say and i got up early and i was praying over savannah and um i had a vision and i saw the lord pull a large red ruby out of the savannah river And it was covered with barnacles and all kinds of clustered things on it. But I could see beneath all of that to this brilliant red ruby. And the Lord said, I see Savannah as a ruby that is a brilliant light in my diadem. That means we look. God always says, I'm going to reveal the end, and then I'm going to work from the end. I'll give you the revelation. Now I'm going to work toward that end. In other words, there's going to be some cleanup to do, and there's been a lot of cleanup done over the last 20 years. There's been a lot of cleanup done in the years before that. He just allowed me to see it in a prophetic gifting to say, every time I come into Savannah, I'm looking to see where is the ruby. How is the ruby beginning to fashion? How is it beginning to sparkle? Is there an area that still needs to be cleaned off? This house gives me hope for Savannah. Because a lot of the debris on it has been religion. Religion has given way to witchcraft. If you remember when Chuck Pierce was here in 2019, he talked about Savannah being the hub of witchcraft. Well, we all know that, right? The enemy can only counterfeit what God intends. So if we've got witchcraft operating in Savannah at the height that it is supposed to be, do you know what witchcraft always goes after? The prophets. Jezebel, always after the prophets. Control, manipulation, domination, always over the voice of the Lord. Always about bringing the purposes of God to nothing. But there's a prophetic mantle on this city. And it's time for it to come up and have the the dust, the barnacles, the seaweed, the dirt, the, all the junk blasted off of it. Because we need that sound of a pure prophetic word coming out. Because the prophets will tell you what God is doing, but he will also reveal what the enemy is doing. And it's not so that we focus at the enemy, because we've got to get to a place under that prophetic mantle that we are seeing what's going on in the earth realm from what heaven is showing us. I don't really care what the devil's doing until God says, I need you to see this is what the devil's doing. I don't go around looking for it. I don't want to know. Because as long as I'm doing what he's saying... I don't have to worry about this mess. The devil will kick up a storm to get you distracted. And as soon as he's got you distracted and has your attention on him, you just lost your focus. Stay focused. What is God doing? And what is God revealing that the enemy is doing? Prophets sound the alarm. Sound the alarm. Call a solemn assembly. Prophets will always call you to a place of repentance. Part of the problem with the prophetic movement right now, if I can just go here, is that there's not enough calling to repentance. Or there's some calling to repentance that isn't needed to be repentance because they're often looking in the wrong place. I did say that. Sorry. No, I'm not. Prophets will release the revelation that is needed in the moment. It will trumpet the heart of the Father. It will reveal heaven's perspective, not just earth's. Right now in the swirl of the enemy operating in our nation, we better have heaven's perspective. You better know what God's saying. I'm just going to hear and I'm going to prophesy, America shall be saved. God is not done with America. He is using all of this mess to wake us up. We've been crying out for awakening, and a lot of the awakening is us awakening to the mess that's in the world and awakening to God's purposes and promises. we got to quit looking at what's going on over there and go, Oh, well, it's just going to get worse and worse, and we're going to be out of here. No, we're not. God is looking for a people who will lay hold of truth and righteousness and pursue seeing the enemy routed. Quit backing up and letting the enemy rout you. You better be routing some enemies. And you need to start in your own home. (laughs) If you've got garbage going on in your home, I'm going to be a mama for a minute. I'm a grandma. I can do this. If you're allowing your kids to be involved with some garbage that's filled with demonic influence, you better clean your house. I will tell you, my kids would look at me, Mom, everybody. I said, I don't care who my everybody. When the Smurfs came out, that tells you how old my kids are. um, I looked at it one day and I said, no, turn it off. We are not letting that inside this house. Because in the spirit, I picked up, they were introducing the LGBT right there. And this was in the 80s. And we were dumbed down so far that we didn't even recognize what was coming. I told you prophets. (laughs) What is Father saying? Don't let the defilement come near you. You can't rout Out there. What you won't route in here. Boy, that was a. Then we put on the shoes of the preparation of gospel of peace. And we have embraced the evangelist. But we've embraced the evangelist for the most part. I'm talking the broader body of Christ. Out there. They've not been embraced in the house. Now, that's not to contain them. That's to build relationship and release authority. It is to bring them into a place where there's accountability, where there is relationship. We all need it, right? We're all supposed to move this thing in relational covenant with each other. We keep seeing evangelists that can draw thousands of people fall off the grid with sin. It's been happening for years. I'm not even pointing at any one particular one because I could go down a list. But we've got to have the fivefold fully functioning, and that involves the evangelist in relationship with the apostles and the prophets. And they are the one that will keep the ecclesia moving outward, not becoming cloistered inside. You come in here to get trained, equipped, encouraged, faith built up, you know, fired up to go out and be sent out. When the evangelists are operating as the corporate armor, they guard our feet and the walk of the body so that we don't become just with our feet propped up. We can't be living room, couch potato Christians. Our feet need to be shod to go out. Releases the power of God of peace. What does Romans say? That God will soon crush Satan under whose feet? Our feet. Feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace to tread upon serpents and scorpions and every evil thing and nothing will by any means harm you. That's your feet being shod with the evangelist, the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace. It protects us as we move out. When we go out with our feet shod, we take wisdom and revelation to the streets. The world right now needs wisdom and revelation. They need the wisdom from on high. They need the revelation of what God is doing. They need the revelation. We need some activated evangelists that sit by some wells with the woman at the well. Who looks into their heart and says, Yeah, the one you're living with right now isn't even your husband. But with such love flowing out of them that there's no condemnation. There's a man that knows everything about me, but he loved me. What would happen if we went with our feet shod with the preparation of peace, not condemnation? Our feet shod with the preparation of of peace that dispels the enemy and crushes Satan under our feet. That stands in the place of peace to war for that one that is in bondage to come into freedom. We need to go out. With our feet shod. The evangelists are the front line warriors. They're warring to a true harvest. Not just of souls. I'm very intentional here. But a harvest of disciples. We've had way too many harvests of souls. But not enough harvest of disciples. The harvesting of a soul can be pretty Easy. Taking that dirty baby and raising it up until they can walk on their own, until they're matured, until they can go out on their own and bring in some more. That's hard work. Ask Jerome over here. You do a great job. Fabulous job. But it's that fivefold operating together. The evangelists are always advancing into new territories. They partner with the apostolic to go into territories that haven't been conquered yet. They get sent out. Prepare the way. Get it ready. Make way. Evangelists aren't just the ones. When you're talking five-fold evangelists, they're not just the ones that are doing the evangelizing. They're the training and equipping and empowering of the UMEs. Okay? Okay? Because Scripture says we're all to do the work of evangelists, right? But we're not all evangelists. There are those that are trained and equipped to empower, to, to get people ready so that when they go out on the streets, they're carrying not information but an anointing. Because the evangelists, the apostle, prophet, and evangelists, they're not just giving you training for information. There is an impartation of of authority and anointing to do the assignment that you're sent out on. They're connected very tightly to the apostle. We have got to get to the place where the evangelists are connected to the evangel to the apostle and the prophet. It's why it's listed in the middle. Because they're the ones going out, but they got to be sent. We've got to be sending people out. I've got a young man preaching for me tomorrow night at Citygate Atlanta who is an evangelist and a worshiper with a prophetic edge. I can't wait to hear what happens tomorrow night because he's coming from his prophetic encounters with the Lord with the sound of song to go out and to reach. He's EDM, electronic dance music, for those of you who are old like me that didn't know what that was, but he's reaching Thousands of people because of the anointing on his life. Because he knows from where he's come and he knows to whom he's been called. So the evangelist. Next, the shepherd or the pastor. What do pastors do? They watch over you, don't they? They lift up that shield of faith. When you're wounded, when you're down, when you've been out in battle and you're just weary what does a shepherd do puts that shield of faith around you when your faith is extinguished and you're like I can't take another breath you need a shepherd now the people at city gate know when you need a shepherd don't call me <laughs> it's just not my it's not my primary I can do it but it's not where I'm graced now call Sandra call Sandra shoot she's great at it she's just got this mothering thing and she you know She's got an apostolic edge to her. Don't get in her way. Um, but you see, we need that shepherding that cares and nurtures, that restores the wounded warriors, that helps the sheep come into a place of security. Shepherds, that word for shepherd in the Old Testament actually is "roei" and is to see. So shepherds watch over. They see the dangers that are lurking among the body. The shepherds at City gate they will see the dangers a lot of times among the sheep before I do. Because they will spot the odd behaviors. They will spot the people that are treating somebody else poorly. But when they're around me, they're all nice and sweet and perfect. But then they will be around somebody else and they'll be, you, you see their fangs coming out. <laughs> Come on. We all got them, right? I've just been at this long enough. I'm real. So sometimes sheep bite. So when we have a sheep that's biting or a sheep or a wolf dressed in sheep's clothes, do you know who sees them first? The shepherds. Because they are moving among them a little bit more. They're not as guarded as they are about, around me because they don't want to make me upset. Don't they want to look good in me because I might give them a place because they're always looking for a place? It's true, just shooting straight. The shepherds know the sheep, they are able to see danger, they see disease, infection, and infiltration. We need the shepherds in place. They also are linked to the apostle, the prophet, and the evangelist to incorporate new disciples into the life of the body. See, if you just get people saved with the evangelist and bring them in and you don't have the shepherds to come alongside and help disciple them and bring them in, they often will get picked off. They'll get discouraged. They will come into a, you know, say a training class for the prophetic and they're a brand new believer and they're going, uh, I don't even know what, what I just did, right? Now, sometimes they step right in, and it's a great thing, but they need to be discipled in the basic foundations of Scripture and of the kingdom. So that's where our pastors come in. They really help to bring it together so that everybody is healthy. Then we move into the teacher, The helmet of salvation. Scripture tells us that we have the mind of Christ, right? But do we always operate like we've got the mind of Christ? (laughs) Teachers help us move into the maturity of that by teaching the word of God. Teachers will help establish us in what we really believe. I think part of the problem that the body of Christ is facing right now in a world that has kind of gone mad with sin and calling evil good and good evil is that we as the church haven't really been established in what we truly believe. We don't have a biblical worldview. We don't know. I mean, I'm amazed at believers who are not convinced abortion is wrong or that sexual impurity is wrong of any nature. That it's okay to leave your wife or your husband because, well, I'm not getting to do what I want to do. Give me a break. Those are basic foundations of biblical truth. We've got to have a restoration of the teacher so that our mind is brought into an alignment with what the Bible says. We've got to know what the Bible says. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. We have a whole generation that doesn't know. They think it's a cute little song from some of their childhood or something. No, it's real. The teacher helps to get us established. It guards the integrity of our faith. What if we had had strong. Biblical teaching for the last 50 years. So that when somebody came and presented to a church, our denomination, or in our government, we need to endorse gay marriage. It's the church that led the way in that, folks. If we hadn't embraced it, If we had loved enough to confront it, not with judgment, not with your going to hell, but there's a way of healing and deliverance. We'll love you into your place of wholeness instead of going, well, we just need to accept them the way they are and send people to hell. And it's not just about the gays; it's about people and immorality and all kinds of all kinds of things. We've got to have a foundation brought back to us of biblical truth, will protect us against ungodly beliefs, bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I challenge you to do this. Ask the Lord that every time you think an ungodly belief about yourself or about somebody else that he would cause an alarm to go off on the inside of you. Because you will be surprised how often you think something that's not truth. I did this a number of years ago, and I was amazed how often that bell went off on the inside of me. But I'm grateful. Because you'll say something about yourself, and you'll hear ding it's not what I said. You say, I'm not able. He goes, Really? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Or come on, ladies, let's get real. You walk, look in the mirror, and you go, I'm ugly. Come on. It's a real deal. Guys, you look at your life and you go, I haven't been successful. Says who? What's your measuring stick? See, all those things are practical, ungodly belief issues. That we're not believing what God says about you. See, we need to rehearse who it is God says we are. I am convinced part of the reason I am where I am in the the Lord right now is because in the first year of discipleship, after I said, yes, Lord, I'll give it to you, I was with a woman who had us daily, daily, decreeing over ourselves who we were in Christ every day. Decreeing who he is and decreeing who he says we are. It will change the way you think about yourself. It will overtake all of those negative history things we've got. And we all have them. We've all got them. Not a person in here doesn't have a history. And that's not all pretty. And I don't care how much you put a mask on it, put it pretty clothes on and all that kind of stuff. You still got junk. But the deal is, once you come to Christ and the blood of Jesus is over the junk, the junk doesn't exist anymore. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But see, the teacher helps you come to realize that. To take those thoughts captive. To bring you into an understanding of who you are. And that... Teacher will release to you out of the Word of God the mind of Christ. One of the other things that teachers do is they will take the revelation that comes, because prophets come with a lot of revelation, right? Have y'all ever heard some revelation come out of a mouth of the prophet that didn't line up with the Word of God? Oops. I mean, it happens. And I don't believe most of the time it's because they mean to. Can I just tell you, when you get up here and you got a microphone in your hand for any length of time, you may say something stupid. <laughs> and you don't mean to. I heard Mark Rutland years ago say, if I could go back and take all the cassette tapes, that dates us, right? From times when I taught stuff, I don't believe any longer I didn't teach it because I was intentionally being in error. I didn't know. So don't get hung up in it. Just say, God, keep teaching me. I, teach, I taught things way back in the beginning. I certainly do not believe today. I mean, I didn't believe apostles existed, and then God said, <laughs> you are one. <laughs> I mean, it's like, okay, we got to work on this one a little bit, right? But we've all done it. And we continue to do it. So teachers will help take prophetic words and they will insist, does this line up with the word of God? Not just the letter upon letter, but the spirit of the word. Because God isn't looking just for the letter of the law. He's looking for the spirit. What is the spirit of God saying to us Through the words. Does it line up? Because prophetic words will never contradict the word of God. You won't be able to always proof text it line upon line upon line. Because God creates and speaks in creative ways. Aren't we glad? But he will always confirm it. He will protect. Teachers will protect us against error, excesses, and unbiblical applications. Hallelujah. It will secure our foundations for God's purposes. Again, link to the apostle, prophet, evangelist, and teacher for affirming, confirming, adapting, and correcting to agree with biblical truth. See, we've always got to come back to that biblical truth. Once we are corporately armored, and the fivefold is functioning. And I want you to hear this very carefully. This is not fivefold as in hierarchy, you've got to jump through all these hoops. Notice the army, the armor goes around us, it fits us. We're protected. And what it does is it protects, but then it activates inside, it gives you a boldness and a courage. To move into who you are because you know it's safe. You're secured. You know you've got somebody watching over you. You've got this armor on that's God saying, I have positioned my kingdom leadership around you in order for you to grow up into the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ. There is such security that comes with being properly aligned. Because when we are together as one, we're in that oneness of the Spirit. There's a sound that comes out of the body of Christ that is pure. It doesn't mean it all sounds the same way. I shared this on a prayer call with Clay Nash and Dutch and all of them about Maybe three weeks ago, we were talking about oneness and unity. And the analogy the Lord gave me, and it comes out of my music background, from band and choir and all this stuff that I did way back in the forever ago years. And you would tune to a pitch. And everybody in the chorus would come to that one pitch. And then the conductor would have the tenors break off and go to their part the bass go to their part, the altos and the sopranos, and all of a sudden, you would have a harmony that was perfectly in pitch. Now, back up. When you have just that one sound, when that everybody comes into that one sound together, you begin to hear the overtones and the undertones. You hear more than that one sound. It's like this vibration and you feel it in the very core of your being and then as it breaks off you begin to hear these layers and layers and layers of sound going up and down and it fills a space that is oneness in the spirit it's not about us all sounding alike it's not about us all singing the same note but there is a harmonizing that comes because we're in tune with Holy Spirit, and letting the Spirit flow out of us, that's what we're moving toward. When we're fully armored, we can move as one, as the Ecclesia. We can move out to advance the kingdom. Who's ready to see some advancing? Ready for it? You can off- offensively charge the enemy's camp. We're no longer going around the backside. But we're listening strategically. We're fully armored. We're ready to move out. We go out as an army. And here's the deal. When you go out as an army, some are staying back to tend to the medics that need to be tended to because we do get wounded in war. There are those that are are providing the food. There are those that are keeping the camp ready. There are those that are in a place of worship and intercession to put this covering over those that are out on the field. And every part has a part. And they're all equally valuable. All equally valuable. Not everybody can go out on a land assignment. But if you're at home and you're praying when the team goes out, you're every bit as much as important. In fact, in some cases, you're more so. Because you can be warding off unseen dangers that the person on the land doesn't see. We have offensively, we use the word as a weapon, which leads us to the sword of the spirit. Because the sword of the spirit is the word of God. We take that sword, and when you're properly aligned, properly armored, you take that sword, that is the word of God, and with apostolic authority, you're able to release declarations and decrees that dismantle the enemy. But it's when we move together, One of the things I love about the prayer calls that um, I'm a part of every day at 222, most every day, is that even though there may be four, five, six, ten of us praying on the calls for the nation as being heard, there are thousands that are listening, and the power of their agreement, the way I see it is like we've got this tsunami wave, and we just happen to be the voices And we, if they're not there, we don't have the same synergy. It doesn't work if that surge, not the same way. But the body is moving as one, armored. And you can hear the different gifts. You can hear the apostolic. You can hear the prophets. You can hear the evangelists on these calls. You can hear the teachers and the pastors. Because we all approach intercession from the posture of the gifting God has put in us. And so I hear this going on on these prayer calls all the time that we're moving fully armored as one. And there's advancement that is coming. So the corporate armor of the fivefold ministry is preparing and protection for war, it's laying foundations for building and advancement. And it's equipping, the very last slide, if you can, equipping for growth and maturity. I believe that we're in a time and a season that God's saying, I need my body to be corporately armored. You've got to be individually armored. But we have got to come into a place of knowing that we're one with each other. And that we're moving together that we're properly connected together, and that we are moving fully armored with the fivefold ministry gifts because it will cause us all, all of us, to move up to another dimension of authority. When I came into an alignment more secure, I'd always run with Dutch, but when I really came into an alignment with Dutch and Clay, um, Because Dutch didn't have a network until about 11, 12 years ago. When I stepped into that alignment and re-stepped into the alignment with Chuck Pierce, the ability to move forward as who I am, who I was created to be, moved into where it needed to be. I had somebody give me a prophetic word that I was like a cat in a bag and couldn't get out of the bag. But here's why I was in a bag. Is I wasn't properly positioned. I didn't know. The timing wasn't there. But the timing came. And I can point to that aligning issue that God divinely orchestrated to where I am walking with the Lord today and where CityGate is walking today. I'm not even sure we would have survived. I mean, because we had some rough patches where the enemy tried to take us out. But we had that armor around us that helped us to know how to move forward, gave wisdom when we needed wisdom, warred for us when we, we didn't have the we didn't have the gumption to war because we were tired. Come on, that happens. And it's real. That ha- this will help you personally, but it will also help you corporately as you move forward. And I believe ultimately we're gonna see where this. Revelation will help us as a territory. Not to be hierarchical about it at all, but when the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers are moving together, bringing forth the portion that God has given them, there will be an exponential movement of the Spirit of God through the body of Christ. And I believe that's the season that we're in. Can I pray for you? Do you want to you got something? I just want to pray for that. Y'all stand with me. Father, I thank you for this house. It's a house that is rapidly becoming an ecclesia, an oikos into a house. That's what I, an oikos, which is house, into ecclesia, which is government. And I just want to release over this house that as you develop your community, know that you're not staying simply as a community of believers, but you're being moved rapidly into a governmental hub to release apostolic authority into a region. The Lord says there is a moving that is happening, and even in your new discipleship things that you are doing, it is to develop the house with strength to function as the Ecclesia. And Lord, I just thank you that you are doing an incredible work in this house and with this man of God. I thank you, Father, that there are things that are going to be added to this house, people, gifts, ministry gifts that will be added to this house to make up for some areas that are, are lacking, it's not that they're absent, but they're, it's just not quite where God is saying, I need it to be. But there will be people that will be added to, and he's going to give you a discerning eye and a discerning heart to know who to accept and how quickly. It's not that you reject, but there are some that you will say, these are coming all the way in, and he's going to give you the ability to see that. But I also heard the Lord say there's a pruning coming in some areas because I am pruning not for discipline but for greater fruitfulness. And pruning is always hard, but it's always good. So, Father, walk this out with this house. Walk this out with with Kyle as he moves more and more as this emerging apostolic leader with greater and greater strength. Continue to develop that teacher in him. And bring those around him, Father, that can take some of the weight and the burden that um, you're saying it's now time to move it to someone else. Not out from him, but an extension from him so that the strength will be multiplied as things are divided. there's there's a dividing of assignments. I just keep seeing this. I'm trying to prophesy what I'm seeing, and sometimes that's not easy, but I see a dividing of things on your plate into other places that will cause a multiplication. So I bless you, and I thank you for the privilege of being here. Amen.